Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we're with Michael, our resident physiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And I'm Matt Till in sunny South Florida right now. Hey, guys, how you doing? Where everybody wants to be, especially yeah, me. Yeah, well, you, want to be you know, there. it's winter and it's 80 degrees, so I got that going for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it 80. It's I will, been 80 actually. the last few days. And look, no, no, it's so humid. It is so humid. I love it. And I love it. That's not fantastic. So it's a different humidity, I think, isn't it? In Houston compared to Florida. Might be. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's Houston humidity here. is like wet. Yes. I mean, super it is. Wet. <laughs> so Merry Christmas. Here's some wet air. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Well, hey guys, it is great to be with you again and uh, for us to be back together on the Ephesiology podcast and to our listeners, we're really glad that you are joining us uh, from wherever you are across the, the, the Western Hemisphere and even the Eastern Hemisphere around the world. We're honored that you join us and uh, download this podcast, um, which is a growing, rapidly growing community as we've, been, as we've been discovering and we're just humbled by it. So we're really glad you're with yep. us. Uh, you know, and speaking Thanks, of podcast, yeah, and speaking of podcasts and and um, popular podcasts, which we are not one, uh, maybe we are, we just don't know it yet. <laughs> um, but uh, there's been one that's been pretty popular this year in the Christian circuit, and that is the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, put out by Christianity Today. Show of hands for those who have uh, been listening to it. My hands up, Andrew's hands, my up. hands up. And Michael, where's your hand? My, my ha- hand is not up. Why not? You know, I was thinking about that on my run today. What would I say if somebody were to ask me, why haven't you listened to that? And, and I think uh, I come up with at least two reasons, maybe four. Uh, one is. <laughs> Martin Luther's thesis statements. <laughs> yeah. One reason is, you know, I don't think I have the emotional energy to spend on listening to uh, another criticism of an evangelical. I mean, we've been listening to these things for, honestly, for decades. We've, I mean, it's one prominent evangelical after another that's fallen, and we tend to hear about whoever that is. And uh, so I, I couldn't bring myself to hear about another one and and to hear it repeated. I mean, th- this isn't new news necessarily. Um, I'm, some of the content, I'm sure, is is uh, different than what we knew in the public. But um, I think those of us, particularly who study religious movements and and religious sects and uh, new religious movements, we, I mean, we know these things happen uh, when there are popular figures. So anyway, so I didn't want to spend the emotional energy. Uh, Secondly, yeah, I wanted to be a little bit more, I guess, objective as I would hear uh, from people and not be influenced by the uh, podcast itself. So um, and so in that sense, 
I was kind of preparing for our podcast because I knew we would be talking about it at some point. So, um, so what yeah. I'm hearing from you, Michael, is that you were waiting to talk to Matt and I in a recorded format about it. And once we now have this in the can, you will now do all of your runs while listening to it because <laughs> you don't have that. That one's going to go away. Then you'll have your, your thoughts on record. Yeah. You can no, be not, yeah, not so much that. I wanted to hear what you guys thought about it and then see if I could probe a little bit. Andrew, what it really sounds like is Michael took the pious moral high ground actually in all this. He's just totally <laughs> oh, yeah. removing himself from this and just saying, you know, that's that's what I heard. But you we're know, down Michael, here we love playing you. in the muck. Yeah, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, mm -mm, I'm better than you guys are you. really messy. Hmm. Yeah, well, I keep hearing about it from a lot of people, uh, not just you guys, but it's almost every person involved in ministry that I talk with asks, yeah. have you listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Well, you really should listen to it. Yeah. I've been shocked actually by the number of people and the different variety of people who've been listening to it right. um, from all spectrums of within the Christian world. I mean, I just, mm -hmm. the people who I wouldn't even think listen to podcasts are listening to it and I've, or had to listen to it. Obviously now it's the, the series has finished at the point of now recording, which by the way, to the listener, we've, we've been wanting to talk about it for weeks, <laughs> um, but uh, we decided yeah. that we were going to wait till they were done before we were going to kind of have some conversation about it. Cause we've been having our own conversations a little bit offline uh, regarding it, but yeah, I've been really sh surprised to hear how many people have been listening to it. Um, Andrew. Okay. Well here, let's, let's go for this, Matt, between the two of us. Uh, for those who haven't uh, jumped into the zeitgeist that is the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, <laughs> how would you, how could we describe it quickly for the people who haven't listened to it to give a context for what we're about to discuss? Yeah. So, okay. That's a good, that's a good place to start. Um, and like you, Michael, actually, I resisted listening to it initially um, mm. because I actually felt the same way. Like I didn't have the emotional energy to listen to it thinking like, I don't know if I can go through this right now. Um, listening to this, you know, barrage potentially um, and bringing up all sorts of other things. Um, and what you'll hear more from Andrew and I, both our stories and uh, mine, especially is, is closely is a little more closer tied to, to this podcast um, uh, that uh, of the Mars Hill podcast, even though I'm not an attender or had been an attender of Mars Hill, but um, I just wasn't sure if I was ready for it emotionally. But what I came to find is that actually it's not necessarily a podcast about trying to heap on coals on a particular individual. Um, and that is, of course, uh, Mark Driscoll. Um, it is actually the detailing the story of his of his rise and of his fall. And of course, you have to tell the stories around it, right? Um, and so uh, I actually found it to be a pretty um, appropriate, um, you know, journalistic approach to the story of how did this church that really kind of came out of little nowhere out in Seattle rise so quickly and then fall so hard. And um, the stories that kind of emerged out of it, um, definitely moments of triggering for those who have experienced uh, some sort of, um, you know, church abuse or hurt. Um, certainly the, those stories would be there. Um, but uh, yeah, I found it to be just this really interesting uh, uh, story of just all these different threads just kind of pulling together. And it's not just a simple, this individual did this wrong, and this is what happened to it, but actually all the components and pieces 
that emerged and came out of this movement, this religious movement um, that brought about um, its ultimate demise. And so I think that's ultimately what this, um, what, what this really kind of, uh, you know, kind of was, was trying to, trying to tell. So, yeah, I think for me, um, there is so much, um, that I appreciated about it. Mike Cosper did a very good job, a very, very good job with it. And I think one of the things that I was uh, appreciating greatly was that journalistic angle that you're talking about, Matt, like, um, that in fact, um, it wasn't just a, here's a new and clever way for us to take pot shots at Mark Driscoll. Um, that in fact, uh, it was, it was well-researched, highly, highly well-interviewed so many sources, um, that, that it didn't just get down into the muck to throw trash around, right? It, it, it wasn't one of those type of podcasts. And so I think, I think what Mike Cosper did in this podcast will have staying power, but whether you liked how he did it or not, right? I think, Michael, some of your fears about what that podcast could be, um, it wasn't, mm. right? It, it wasn't that. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't going to have that emotional uh, uh, struggle for you, right? And I'm not saying that you still wouldn't have had a different level of emotional impact that made you sad and hurt. But it wasn't, it was told through the lens of really Christ's bride, right? Like, what does it, what does it mean to be the church, to grow the church, to care for the church, to be on mission as the church, uh, all in the healthy ways. And what's the result when you don't do that. And, and then kind of all the points in between. And so, um, I personally, you referenced it, Matt, I personally, um, took a keen interest in this podcast when I heard it was happening. Um, as I, I think I joked to Matt as well as a few other friends, I was like, this was catnip for me. I mean, it was, it was as if they decided to talk about the things that I was already inclined to care about. And I was like, well, I mean, if it was a term, I mean, what's the, uh, the common terminology, like just take my money. Like if this was a, if this was an opportunity for, Shut up and take uh, my money. Futurama. Yeah, seriously. I was like, I would have paid, I would have paid all the money and I would have been there for this because um, I was uh, in uh, Flagstaff and then Tempe uh, in Arizona when um, a lot of the things that they were talking about were happening in the podcast. And then specifically when they didn't go into it too much, but some of the we are going to come and plant a church because God wants Mars Hill in Phoenix. Like that was happening while I was in Phoenix. And so um, some of his efforts and the leaders that he grabbed from other churches, they were my fellow seminary students. Like they were my friends. Uh, they, they came and participated in his church they were hit by the ramifications of the decision to shut it down. Um, 
I have a lot of stories, but this one was not so far and distant as to be um, something like I would read in a book, right? And it would just detail, uh, like you said, Michael, another fall of another church or another pastor who had his sights on bigger, more, and better. Instead, it was, this impacted me. <laughs> this impacted my team that I led at my church in Tempe. This impacted my students. And these, this whole thing impacted my friends at Phoenix mm. Seminary. So for me, this was personal. And that's not just to even touch on the fact that I was somebody that was a part of spiritual abuse. And I went through that. And I know what it means to sit under a leader who leads like that and is hurt. So this one, it was real close, real close to home. I would How say- How long ago was that? Give us a date, Andrew, for that time. Uh, to what? Phoenix. Uh, shoot. We rolled into town 2012, okay. I think. So, so we were there 2012. Yep. Uh, yep. Nine years ago. And again, as terms of the podcast, I think the official shuttering, uh, or the resignation of Mark Driscoll came in 2014, right? Fall mm -hmm. of 2014. Um, and so yeah. some of the, some of the more volatile, times in Mars Hill, as they talked about in the podcast. That's when I was in Phoenix for that. I, and I would, I would say too, just to like, maybe kind of as a summary statement and Andrew, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but I, I look at this particular podcast, this, this story of the rise and fall of Mars Hill as a singular look at the microcosm of all that has been going on in the evangelical movement broadly, the Western American evangelical movement um, for the last 20 or 30 years. Mm. And I would say I this is fair. This is a pretty, okay. I, I appreciate you agreeing with me on that. <laughs> I, I, I see this as a general microcosm of what is happening and has been happening. And so if you're a listener kind of wondering what has happened to my church, what is going on in the evangelical movement? What has been happening over the last few years? You can look at this story and go, I see either this identical story played out or very one almost parallel to it um, in my evangelical church history, which is mine. I will say that in my own my own life, my my experience in the evangelical mega church, this is a parallel movement. I mean, parallel um, to it. I mean, for every story you heard, I have almost a similar one to share. Mm. Um, mm. So your story may match mine or be similar to that, or you may just see pieces of it and elements of it within your own church and your own congregation and leadership. And I would just say this is the, the epitome of the singular epitome microcosm of what's been happening broadly in either greater or lesser forms and probably more in lesser forms, but it's, but it's everywhere. And once you see it, you can't not see it, right? Um and so uh, in my mind, I think that's why this podcast is so, which has been so insightful and actually in some ways has been a bit healing for me to listen through because I'm Same. like, because I can kind of look at this a bit more, that objective approach that Michael, you've been kind of talking about, like, you know, and just saying like, Hey, I want to kind of remain objective for those who have gone through the trauma. Um, we've had nowhere to go. Um, mm -hmm. We've had no place. We've had no safe place to, to speak about these things. Um, or they're very, or they're very, very quiet spaces. Um, Can I jump in places. to almost even say that if you had that experience, 
or you felt that shared emotion, you felt like you were on the outs. You felt like your, your story was um, unique. And why do I want to talk about it? Cause I don't want to throw dirt at leaders. I don't want to ruin Christ's name. I don't want to sully what God is doing in this world. And so my experience is just mine. And so I'm going to sit on it and then to start to have a podcast, put a voice to an experience of you're like, okay, no, I've, I've never been to Seattle, but like parallel movement, yeah. <laughs> parallel I'm experience. Not crazy. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, crazy. I'm not crazy. And then to have so many stories come out, like my experience, my experience, my experience, my experience. And you're just like, okay, okay. I'm not crazy. And I am not unique. And this is actually a super big problem across the US in yeah. evangelicalism for the past 20 plus years. Yeah. So so as an example, like I'll, I'll just get real concrete here just to tie in something. One of the early um, podcasts, you know, one of the early episodes of the podcast, they're interviewing the um, uh, the uh, the main media director, right? I forget, I, I forgive me, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who's running the His media name department. is Jesse. Jesse, thank you. Yes, Jesse. They're interviewing Jesse and he's sharing his story about the time that they were in Turkey with Mark doing a filming and a recording. And of course, here's the tie into Ephesiology even. They're reading the letter in Revelation to the church of Ephesus about you have lost, Mark is reading this out on video, you know what I mean? Recording this, like you have lost your first love. And Jesse has a, a moment of going, Oh, oh, crud. That is to us, to Mars Hill, to those of us who are doing this very thing. And he has this like almost out of body experience. Like that's us. We have lost our first love. Right. So I, um, my connection to this is, is that that's a very similar story to what I experienced. And actually I was in Israel at the time recording with not one Mark Driscoll, but one James McDonald. And uh, who was also named in the podcast. And I worked for him for a few times. Yeah. (laughs) A few times. Uh, Yeah. And so like, like that I'm like, I'm listening to this and I'm like, Oh bro, (laughs) that's my story. (laughs) You still, that's my story. And so, you know, it's like, Jesse's not crazy. I, I, I listen to him and I go every word. I believe it because it's also my story. And, um, and I know it's others as well too. And so for that, that's why I look at this too. And I say, this is a microcosm. This is just a, these are slivers of what is taking place in the evangelical world. And yet we've all bought into it. And yet we all, we all drink from the Kool-Aid. We're all drinking from the same pool and water. And so that, that is like the concrete pieces that, you know, just one, one of many examples that I, that I really hung on to. And I go, yeah, that's real. And until you have that moment, um, you know, and then it's like, where do you go? Right. Because you feel like, oh my gosh, I see the light suddenly, but who can I talk to about this when the whole system feels like it's really kind of against you or you, you start to feel like you're the crazy one actually initially. Yeah. You know, listening to you guys talk about your experience, uh, uh, that makes me think of something that Alan Hirsch has told us before. And he says something to the effect that we're perfectly designed to achieve the results we're seeing. And, uh, and I, I mean, these things, they don't happen in a vacuum. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a sad indictment, I suppose, on 
the way the evangelical church has evolved over the the past 500 years or so. You know, Michael, tell us a little bit. You've done a lot of research on, and this is the nagging question that I have, because this is where I feel like the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and maybe I'm jumping too far ahead here, but um, I, the podcast evokes all sorts of questions to the um, for the listener. It evokes a lot of different questions and a lot of different, it brings up issues that we should be thinking through as congregants, as follow, as faithful followers of Christ, as those who are church members, that about the structures, the systems, the frameworks that we have been inheriting and believing in. One of the things that nags me for some time is, and it doesn't actually come up in the podcast, uh, at least I don't recall it doing so, but here's the thing that keeps coming up is there is a lot of cult-like behavior that is very becomes evident in this and i think we as christians kind of recoil when we say christian faith church cult like we recoil like bring, kind of bringing those pieces together but i'm kind of curious you've done a lot of research and work in this space on new religious movements and cults and and i'm what connections do you see because i it's kind of it's it's hard to kind of like you you go through it and you start realizing that we start worshiping the man um and the leader and the charismatic you know leaders and at what point do you cross the line you know um has kind of been the the nagging question that i've had um even listening to this again i'm like wow this mars hill didn't last and it was a short movement and sounds more like a cult to me than it did anything else um mm -hmm. but that's been kind of my takeaway and and i i kind of wondered that about my previous um my previous experience too so i'm just curious as to what your thoughts are just kind of seeing it from the outside and based on your research yeah well i can't really speak to mars hill in particular since i haven't listened to the podcast but the bits and pieces that i hear um do like you said uh kind of conjure up uh, th things that we know about in regards to the study of new religious movements and the leaders that uh, lead those movements. And uh, I mean, one might think, you know, the, of the big name leaders like uh, Jim Jones or David Koresh and who had very charismatic personalities. I mean, Jim Jones, when he started off, was um, I, I think he was fairly well. I mean, there were some issues early on in his life, but uh, he seemed to be orthodox, uh, at least on the outside. But boy, he had some kind of control over the people that uh, became a part of his uh, following. And so much so that he was able to manipulate them to do uh, horrible things. And ultimately, of course, we know that the end result of that manipulation was uh, the mass suicide um of talking his, about what happened in waco texas back in the 90s right well, that, no that was david koresh oh dude, uh, oh thank you yeah sorry my, yeah, jim my jones bad. in uh in uh south america but uh the, and right. similarly with with koresh i mean these these leaders tend to exert a, an incredible amount of authority over people um they're charismatic in their personality they talk about things that that oftentimes aren't provable necessarily, but they, they sound right to people. 
and uh, at a level to where people say, yeah, I, I believe that I can, I can follow what this guy is teaching. And, uh, and people become attracted to that personality to such an extent that even when there might be signals of something improper, that uh, they become overshadowed with the how a person has deeply resonated with what has been said uh, before. It so often reminds me of uh, of uh, an, an a kind of an analogy that I use with wine testing. That uh, and I've written about this before, but in in wine testing, as I learned about it, in, as I was studying architecture and designing a winery. Um, the uh, the vintner who came to, to tell us about the ins and outs of wine testing said, you know, we, we have a secret that you can't tell anybody. And that is most often when somebody corks a older bottle of wine that has a real vinegary taste to it, but nobody's going to admit that because they've all paid a couple hundred dollars to drink it and, to, you know, participate in all the fanfare. And sometimes we get so sucked into a person's personality or the ideology that they might espouse that we become blind to uh, what might be improper, what others might be seeing that just doesn't sit right with them. And uh, but I mean, that happens. It doesn't matter if it's in the religious realm or the political realm. I mean, we've just come through a period of time where where so many people have been mesmerized by uh, politicians and not seeing the, their dark sides. And so there's a real, a real uh, danger. And I think some of the, at least as I look at the study of religious leaders and leaders in general, which I've done for a number of years, um, I, I see that there are points that you might uh, look to to say, hey, that might not be proper, and we need to nip that in the bud. And uh, some of those are, uh, you know, at moments where, uh, particularly for churches, where they're demanding uh, um, uh, an absolute commitment to the vision of a pastor. That, that's a, that should be a red flag to all of us. Uh, there should never be a church uh, th that demands uh, that level of commitment to one person's vision. Uh, the only commitment that we should have is to God's vision and uh, and His vision for the church. And so, whenever we, uh, you know, come to a place where we're involved in a in whatever group it is, but particularly a church where a leader is demanding that kind of absolute commitment to His vision then that should raise red flags uh, uh, for us. And uh, we need to be asking the hard questions then. I think what's really difficult, Michael, about what you're saying is every single one of us, every single one of us would hear your description of it and say, gosh, who would do that, right? When, when a leader gets up and says, it is my way or the highway, you better follow me or you can't be a part of this community. Every single one of us would say, I would never, ever be a, be a part of a community like that. But the mm -hmm. reality is those leaders don't start by saying that and they don't come out saying that. The, and the and people, sometimes it's uh, other people that are saying that saying it for them. 
You know, I, yes. I mean, I've, I've, uh, we've been a part of a number of churches and, and I've read a number of church constitutions and uh, membership manuals and so on. And, and I've seen some that just flat come out and say that if you join this church, you are uh, the becoming obedient to the vision of the pastor and you will abide by that vision. And that, that's, that's very uh, cult-like, uh, the demanding that sort of obedience from uh, members. And so we, ha- we have to be aware of that. Sometimes we, may, we might not be aware of it until it's too late. Uh, because again, right. I mean, oftentimes when we're in churches, we're attracted to the church because of the manner in which the pastor is speaking. There's something appealing to, you know, the way he exegetes scripture or, you know, the way that he uses illustrations or the the things that he is passionate about, and we'll tend to be attracted to that. Um, Sometimes that attraction will lead to a blind spot, and we need to be aware of that. And, uh, And so, you know, Ways in which we can overcome those things are by uh, being, you know, critical ourselves, not in a deconstructive manner, but in a constructive manner to ask questions and not to be afraid of asking questions. Um, It was interesting. My wife of the other day, we were we were down in Florida, of all places, uh, enjoying some sunshine and talking with some friends. And she remembered uh, the first time that she met. Uh, D.A. Carson's wife uh, was at the uh, uh, there's a thing at Trinity. I can't remember now what it was called, especially for students to go and and exchange, you know, clothing or food or whatever. And uh, she met she met Carson's wife and she was just amazed, you know, to meet D.A. Carson's wife. And and uh, his wife uh, looked at her and and because uh, Lori had asked, what's it like being married to D.A. Carson? And she told Lori, she said, he puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And that's I mean, that's equally as true about any pastor in a pulpit. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And so we need to realize that we are all human and created in God's image and because of the priesthood of the believers, we're all equal uh, in terms of our value and even in terms of our ministry and our ability to do ministry. And there's, again, a real danger when one person or a group of people become elevated above everybody else. And that sounds like what's happened or what did happen with Mars Hill and and will continue to happen uh, as as uh, you know we progress in this sinful condition. Yeah, and it's so hard. It's so 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 hard because when those leaders come up, and again, you already have a proclivity to like them. You know, if they are a leader that has kind of that charisma, um, that you hear them talk about Jesus, Jesus that you love, Jesus that you want to be near. And then you hear about Jesus' mission, that he wants to go and bring newness to the whole world, to make all things new, to to unite all things in him. And you hear a leader talking about that. I mean, your heart is stirred because you love Jesus. Your heart is stirred because you want to see people know him. And so because of that affinity, 
and the connection towards Christ, that's where it's sometimes unfortunately easy to excuse away some really bad behaviors because you see the two as inextricably linked. That as this leader is leading us, more people are coming to know Jesus. As this person is casting this vision on how we can see the city come to know Christ, then I am going to pursue Christ by supporting this leader. And so they get linked and they get linked so strongly that when, when you say to excuse some things or to ignore them, certainly, but then you go into the, you know, stop me if you've heard this. Yes, this leader might be doing some things that we don't approve of. Yes, they might be saying some things, but it's not what they so much do or how they say it. It's the goal at which they are going to bring us towards. That goal is worthwhile. And so we will put our heads down and we will vote for them. We will put our heads down and we will continue to go to church. We will enroll in the schools that they are a part of because the end is so good. Matt, what, what part of that did you kind of see here and relate to in that Mars Hill story uh, from the podcast? Yeah. I, you know, maybe I'll put it this way is part of my own journey and healing process has had to be a admission of guilt that even though I was a victim of spiritual abuse and verbal abuse in ways that I never experienced in a quote secular world in a career prior to that, my time. Um, I had to confess and admit guilt that I cheered it on, that I participated in it, that I believed it and allowed myself to believe it all was good and right and what was best. And um, part of that might just be the manipulation that was occurring that I was blind to. And part of it was I wanted to believe it all that somehow I was on the inside, somehow I had the secret knowledge that I was a part of something that was greater. Um, and rather than letting the Lord speak through his scriptures to me, uh, you know, and, but instead you kind of get sucked up into the show, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, um, and so I kind of had to, I kind of had to admit like, and this is where I have a sympathetic bone to, um, to Mark Driscoll, to the leaders of uh, Mars Hill, and as well as to my former pastor, James McDonald, and his leadership, is I, I have an element of sympathy because the people that they were leading were cheering him on. And, uh, and it, it's this self-filling, fueling mm -hmm. thing that just kind of keeps taking place, Right. And you just kind of become immune and blind to it over time. I don't think, and it was sad to watch even the downfall of James at Harvest Bible Chapel up in the Chicago area because people were quick to point the finger at him and say, you're the problem. You're the evil, like, you know, you're this wicked or just this fallen creature, you know what I mean? And leader that we can't trust anymore. You're the problem. And it made me sad. Yeah, and how did they get there? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the part. It's like, that's that's the right? sad part because I don't think he started with these intentions on trying to dupe 
you know, 10, 15, 20, 30,000 people into making him immensely wealthy. I don't think that was his intent. I don't think that was his intent when he planted the church. I really don't. Um, and so I think, you know, when people were quick to blame and it's like, you don't understand you, you participated in it. You, you are part of the system as well. Mm. And, and yes, a lot of you are just, a lot of individuals are just kind of blind to it, I suppose, but we didn't ask the harder questions. We didn't bother to challenge our own presuppositional beliefs. We just took it on face value. And that that's we have the kind real of had- danger, isn't it? Uh, that, that's the yeah. real danger is when we, when we unknowingly enable someone to uh, do the things that they're doing. I, I mean, there's, there's culpability, isn't there enough that go around to all of us, but at the end of the day, the, <laughs> all hands raised. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we need to really examine our hearts and especially our hearts before the Lord and, uh, and be willing to ask difficult questions. You know, sometimes people are intimidated. I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, being in the congregation of Mark Driscoll or 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 uh, uh, James McDonald or Bill Hybels or whomever, anyone, right? And uh, and sitting there thinking, gosh, how could I be someone who would challenge what it is that they're saying? Because well, look, look at what they've done. Isn't that isn't that? And and that's that's the crazy part about it all. And I think, but it totally makes sense, right? I mean, just how many people are like, well, that that individual has the education. They went to school for this. They've they've studied the scriptures well more than I could ever. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes that's even in the it's like that there's the fault of the church as it is like why don't why are we not all theologically educated in such a way that we should be able to to understand these scriptures and understand the history the historical context and i mean this is what we're about oftentimes in ephesiology is trying to give bring theological education to more people so that they don't feel like they have to rely upon i mean here we are back into the you know third century constantine again like you know it's like you know like everyone's, you know, we have this Bible in a, in a language that nobody can read. And so we just put up the, the, the political person who also is a theologian and says, well, you're, you're on the inner circle. So you're the one who's going to teach everybody this, this religion and faith. And here we are now since, you know, 350 AD, and we're still doing the same old, you know, we're still doing the same tricks. And, and so now like, and it just keeps showing up in different ways, you know, and, and I think what happens is so often, this is where the slippery slope comes in, is that we, we hold up this word of God and you have, you have this, this, this individual who gets up and holds this scripture and says, this is what it says, and this is how we're to read it. And I have now interpreted it for you, go forth, you know, and, and we don't, we, 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 we lose our sense of reasoning and, and our distort, you know, we become distorted in, in our thinking oftentimes. And it's like, well, you know, they said, it, this is the way it is. So this is the way it is. And this is what the Bible says. So I got to believe it. And, and I think there's a lot of this danger that occurs in the evangelical church that we've just been continuing to, 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 uh, to uphold within our churches and our congregations and, and leadership. And then the leaders start to believe it themselves and the people believe it and they follow it. And then, you know, it gets really messy. And I think we're, we're at the point now in a broader cultural deconstruction that's taking place that I think people are starting to ask the bigger questions and people are starting to kind of question some of the more long held fundamental beliefs uh, that I think and say, we need to, we need to get to the bottom of this because 
as the theme kept coming up in the podcast that the pile of bodies behind the Mars Hill bus continued to grow. The same can be said about the pile of bodies behind the evangelical bus. Mm. And I think the Western evangelical bus has amassed far more, you know, spiritual body count is high. The body count is so high. Um, uh, it's, it's immense and it's still, and you've got people walking around dazed, confused. It should be of no surprise. And we talk about the soft in the church, or we talk about the soft in the pockets, but it should be no surprise that people have disengaged from the church, especially after. And COVID I think, now. and it, I think it, for sure is how do we, as the church. So again, Western American, how do we respond to the body pile? Like, are we saying that body pile is there because they earned it? They deserved it. They ran away from Christ. Are we, uh, do we come across as accusatory of that body pile to say, well, they left the church, right? Like they, they left Jesus. Those are the people who um, they couldn't stick with it. They couldn't hang. Or do we come across by saying, you know, you've got some really valid concerns. You've got some, some rightful bones to pick, not just with leadership, but the way that we are trying to reflect Christ as his bride in this city, in this church. I think that is one of the guys, you know, Matt, you were referencing those who would come against the Driscoll's, the Hybels, the McDonald's. Um, the worst part is, at least in regards to those individuals as named, um, there were blogs there were people trying to raise red flags. There were people trying to sound the alarm. And those people, by and large, were viewed as the minority. They were labeled. And that, that, that unkind label was slapped on them so that it devalued whatever mm -hmm. they were bringing up. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about the people today who might try to be bold and try to bring up and say, this is not biblical. This is not godly. This is not right. And we have to ask that question. Are we willing to listen to the validity? Are we, are we listening? Are we willing to listen to what is being said? Are we willing to say, let's take this to the Lord. Is this really how he is leading us to reflect him in this world? Or are we going to say, we're going to pull an institutional loyalty card and we're just going to say, we're just going to shut it down and we're going to push it out. Uh, because then it is about an institution, right? It is the people who are supporting. It's not just the crazy leader who is unhinged and is off their rails leading this. Like, again, there's a system, there's an institution. Uh, I talked to a friend who was, uh, he went to retrain. Like he was a part of their educational system. And he said, he's listened to the podcast. We've talked a time or two already. And he said, the stuff that I've heard on this podcast is not even close to as bad as what I heard in the room from people mm -hmm. who are not named Mark Driscoll about what it looked like to lead and how you needed to essentially sacrifice your life and your family. Because if you really loved Christ, this is what you would be doing. And it was like, he said it was not even close to as bad as what he heard in person. And if people really knew then they would have been like, oh, those people who raised those red flags weren't as crazy because it was even worse than we ever knew. And so I think, I think it's wise today, uh, Matt, you're bringing up the, the thing about deconstruction is not to immediately jump on the, uh, 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 the false dichotomy 
that is either you're for Jesus and the church or you're for deconstruction. And if you pick a side, then you've automatically cast off the other. Well, um, and, and I want to say this too, because this is, this is the key. And I think this is why people have a hard time going down this road um, is that so much of the system, ha- your, your own identity has been tied into the system hmm. that most people are fearful and absolutely, I mean, they're dreadfully afraid of trying to untangle one's identity from the system. And this is where I think the cult-like behavior is more prevalent than, it, than, we're, than we want to care to admit to, because so much of one's identity becomes wrapped up into it. Uh, and that goes for the pastor, to the leadership, to even the, to, to the congregant who's kind of sold into this. You know what I mean? And, and I'm for one, I, I like, I can just tell you that your identity becomes one with the, with the institution. Um, you can say that you're on your, you're, you own your own person and that you are following God. And, but it's at the end of the day, you become very defensive very quickly when anyone attacks the pastor or your, or your beliefs, or even the institution. Um, you, once things start happening, you feel you take this personal ownership of it. Um, and, but then all it takes is like, you know, you, you start questioning yourself um, in so many different ways. It's, it's painful. And, and you yep. have to start to say, how much of this do I really, you know, if you want to try to untangle yourself from it, it's, it's a messy work. And I think most people are afraid to do it. And that's why we don't challenge the, the system often. Yeah, we moved across the country from Indianapolis to Flagstaff to plant a church. And when people questioned what they heard from our leader, when people questioned what our church plant was trying to do, they raised red flags and say, you know, it kind of sounds like a cult. It, it kind of sounds like uh, somebody's going with the my way or the highway demand of church and how it has to look and and how you have to worship Jesus. Um, and if you're not, you're not a Christian, right? Like, and and Matt, exactly what you're describing. I'm just I'm nodding my own head, having gone through that. I am nodding my own head, having no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. No, you heard him wrong. No, you're just you're taking it the wrong way until we were the uh, beneficiaries of that fallout before we were found to be on the other end of the demands and realizing, uh, and so okay. much of it, like you're, you know, especially in a lot of these kind of re- with really charismatic leaders, it, it's so ingrained in you that you start to believe in the ideology of the organization and of the leader. And you become convinced that you are on the right side of history you're on the right side of theology. You're on the right side of all things matter pertaining to life and that you're on the right side of salvation. And so therefore, anything that is contrary to that is on the wrong side. And that is what they become, these leaders. And honestly, I, I see it so often, so in other places that we become so convinced of it that any, that the contrary, like if I were to, to, to say, well, you know, you know, start with something like women in leadership and like, do I think women should be pastors or not? And if you want to start to question that or hierarchy, right. Or patriarchy within the church and say, you know what, actually, I'm not so sure if the scriptures actually are that clear about men, headship and leadership. Right. 
you start to question that. Well, if you're part of the, the the faith background that says, no, it is pure patriarchy to its extreme, right? And if you decide to question that, then you are now feel like you're left to question everything else. And so, um, and then the whole thing becomes undone for you. Um, and that's, I see that, I hear that so often. And, and so, and it doesn't have to be that way. That That's the problem. That's the great tragedy is that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, that we should be able to have and be able to do theology in community, like what we practice here in Ephesiology. Like we should be able to have these conversations in a safe and healthy environment um, and and be able to major on those majors. Am I right, Michael? Oh, 100%. I mean, I just wrote that down uh, because we talk about this so often about doing theology in community. Um, and if you're in a place, if you are in a church where you don't feel like you have the freedom to go and talk with your pastor or your leaders about some issue, then that should give you indication that this might not be a place that you should be. Uh, it might not be that safe place because we should always, as brothers and sisters in Christ, who share the Holy Spirit in us all, we should always have a sense of freedom to be able to go to other brothers and sisters, no matter who they are, no matter where they land on whatever hierarchy your church has, uh, we should always be able to go and talk with them about questions that we would have about what they say or what they do, how they act or don't act or whatever, um, and not feel like we have to be defensive or feel like that... You know, that we need to be uh, um, submissive to a point of, of losing what we, what we might hold to. Um, and so if we're in places where we don't feel that freedom, that to me is a good indication that there is something potentially nefarious going on. That's a big word. I just, I, and not, not that nefarious dark, something is a, dark. a highly scoring well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I also want to say um, like, like a little bit, oftentimes we as, uh, you know, we, the the common folk, uh, I am on staff, I am a pastor. So understand that I am trying to talk about how I existed in the church before this, but like some people also it, that there's a great humility that we want to see for everybody, right? So not just your lead pastor, not just for the other leaders, but also for us as people in the church. Like if if you disagree or you are uncertain about something, I hope you are in a place that you can go and talk to that leader. And at the same time, also say, maybe I have this wrong, right? Like maybe this is my opinion and maybe my church leader, my pastor, uh, my, you know, whatever system you're in, they might be able to point to scripture and say, actually, so here's why I say this. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, because I would hate, hate, hate for anybody who is listening to this to be like, well, I'm afraid to go to them because they know they'll blow me out of the water. Uh, okay. Um, but let's also make sure that we have some humility that says we're also in process too. Maybe we don't have all of the answers, but I love the theology in the community, the arm in arm, the, the, we are all a part of the body and there is one head and his name is Christ. So we are all in this together. Um, and none of us is more important than the other, but we Andrew, are about what he is about. Andrew, don't you think though, that in today's day and after hearing the stories on the podcast 
and knowing your own experience. The onus today, yes, I hear you that as an individual, if you are a victim of some sort of um, misunderstanding or you're trying to raise an issue to your church leadership, don't you think though, that in today's world right now, that the onus, if a church really wants to authentically pursue healthy relationship and wants to really be about the gospel message that it needs to demonstrate and be the first to step forward and say, mm-hmm. oh, we are doing, we want, we need to invite this and we are going to sit and listen because I hear what you're saying, but I'm just telling you that like, based on the number of stories right. that are exist today, most people are not going to feel like their, their church leadership is safe because they have yet to show and demonstrate a level of safety. Yeah, yeah Matt. So and obviously I, uh, if you've listened to this podcast at all, um, or if you know me off the mic, I have been accused of being an idealist, like everywhere all the time. Enneagram so, ones unite idealists. Yeah, seriously. So um, we have so got to I do a podcast on the Enneagram at some point. You guys keep bringing that. Not, not until you let me know how that goes. <laughs> um, so we've already got I you think, pegged, so, by the way. So, so anyway, so, so I'm jumping back in to say, um, yes, Matt, and, and you're entirely right. And I think the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, my experience in church planting that led us to leave a church where there was spiritual abuse. Um, I mean, man, like I, the only place that I have control of this right now is within the congregation that God has put me. And then right now on this mic to encourage all of you as listeners to do that. And so, so we actively try to do that, Matt. Like, yes, you are correct. Yes, we as the church leadership need to do that, which is why, yes, we as the church leadership at Neartown endeavor to do that. Like, we want people to know that you can disagree with us. I just had to have a meeting uh, recently with somebody who did disagree with us. And I had to sit down across from them and hear what they said. And I said what we said, and when we said, we may not agree on this, but we love you and we don't want you to, to leave and let us walk this difficult road together. And so I, I agree with you, Matt. And that's also why I'm saying, like, I don't want just to say, I hope this happens in your church. I'm saying, I hope this is happening at my church and I hope I am modeling this well. And, Mm -hmm. and I want to encourage people to be a part of it, whether they are parishioner or they are a leader i am just begging for people to bring some humility into wherever they are and understanding right rightly matt that like you're saying if you are in leadership you don't put this on everybody else and says well well they need to be humble first like that's the worst attitude ever Uh, we need to lead out in it yeah. And, you know, I just said this to, I sat with somebody recently who's uh, confessed to me that they're kind of in a, in a pretty like heading down that, you know, really in a deconstruction process right now. And I, and I had just said, and it's really struggling to go to church. And, and I had just said, you know, that's totally okay. And you should be okay with that. And don't feel guilty for feeling like you need to take a step back because church for you right now is a place of disconnection from God rather than a place of connection to God. And I, and I said, you know, but just before, you know, and I think there's a lot of social justice warrior mentality going on right now. And I, I totally confess, like I I have my moments and just own the fact that you're the one going through the deconstruction. You're the one who's wrestling through these things and, and just kind of have the understanding that the institution, the organizations, your leadership, they're probably not there with you. 
and and maybe they are, but you just don't know it. But for the most part, they're not there and they're probably not very interested in changing. So just if we can own that we're the ones kind of going through it and that we're empowered to make decisions that better us and that you don't have to change the whole institution, but you can change you, you can change where you're going to go, you can change where you, what church you're going to engage with and what faith community you're going to, you're going to fall into, then that's a, probably a healthier place to be at. Um, and so I think that was kind of, you know, that's kind of where I've had to kind of get to the point too, where I feel like I need to change everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I need to change the system, but it's hard though, too, because we're emotionally wrapped up into it. We're emotionally, um, we have real relationships. We have real people that we're friends with, um, mm -hmm. and that there's so much of our lives that are wrapped up into it. So I think though, we do need to come at a place of humility. I agree wherever we're at, whether you're in church leadership or you're a parishioner, um, I see too, a lot of pastors right now and, uh, you know, um, struggling, um, they're trying to hold on. They're trying to figure out how do I maintain, um, this institution? How do I even wrestle with these things? I see a lot of fear. Um, uh, honestly, as a former church planter myself, I was, I was struck with so much fear and so much anxiety. Uh, I couldn't contain it. Um, I was, I was dying inside because I was wrestling through more things that I was even telling other people about. And I didn't know who I could tell. I didn't know who I could trust. I just, there was so much unraveling that I just didn't know. And I, I you know, I, I didn't know, like, I have to break off from this. I have to step away. And, um, but I, I held on for so long because my livelihood was wrapped up into it. Mm -hmm. My, my I money you know, into it, money and Jesus. And it makes it real hard. I, it, it's wrapped up into it, you know, and, and those who are leading these big organizations, these big churches with, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people on staff and uh, buildings and mortgages and, uh, you know, debts. And, you know, uh, honestly, that, that was really the, the downfall of James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapels that they amassed so much debt um, that I think that's probably what kept things that's how things got sideways is that they were amassing and growing beyond their, their capability all in the matter of faith, you know? And, and so when you do that and you overextend your, your boundaries and overextend your means, you have to find other artificial ways to keep it going. Mm -hmm. And so that starts what's happening, but we kind of do that. And I think how many pastors are out there realizing this thing is one donor away, one family away, one moment away, one event away, one more lockdown away from absolute collapse and demise, who wouldn't do the unthinkable? Who wouldn't do the craziness? Who wouldn't go out and rob a bank? I mean, honestly, like just ask yourself, are you, are you beyond that? <laughs> you know, I, you know, I think some guys are like, well, yeah, of course I would never do that. But deep down it's like, yeah, but you might relieve that tension by going and sleeping with somebody else you know, um, or you've been drinking alcohol way more than you used to. Um, I, th this is a messy work. And, and here's what I really loved about the last episode of the Mars Hill podcast. They're interviewing uh, Paul Tripp. Yep. And Paul is the one who came in and exposed all of this and said it straight up. And there's this leaked recording of him with the elder board about Mars Hill. And by the way, if you've read Paul Tripp's book, if you are a pastor or somebody in ministry, actually, if you're not even a pastor, I, I recommend this book. It is um, called A Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp. 
uh, it will give you an insight, a, an emotional, psychological insight into the world of the pastor and into the world of professional ministry. Um, but he said in this podcast that the evangelical church must deconstruct. And I am so grateful that he said that because what he's getting at is, no, you don't have to lose the fundamentals of the faith, but we need to rethink this whole thing. And I think if you sit down and read his book, uh, uh, Dangerous Calling, you would totally get because he's tapping into, and he wrote this a number of years ago, he taps into the emotional strain and turmoil, including how many other pastors do we have to see who are falling morally or committing suicide or thinking about it? Um, or who are leaving the pastorate in droves because they cannot sustain it. It's mm -hmm. destroying their lives. And that it's, it's painful. It's, it's absolutely painful to watch. And, um, and, and he's, he's getting to it. He's, he's hitting at the heart. Like we have to rethink this. There are some fundamental pieces of this that we need to rethink. Um, Andrew, I don't know. You're sitting in the pastorate role. I got out. Um, and I, I don't regret that decision at all. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you sit in this, in this role right now. Um, and in this place, I, and maybe you don't feel the way I feel about it, but I don't think, uh, you're crazy. And, uh, let's go with, can I, can I go with the honest, but trite answers first, Matt, uh, yep. by the grace of God, I am here, <laughs> uh, uh, because he is good to me. Uh, he never stopped being good to you either. Right. Like that's, this is where some of those trite sayings, the things yes, that actually yeah. mean something to me also sometimes are really hurtful for somebody else. Like, like I don't mean to say that God wasn't faithful for you. And I don't mean to say that God wasn't there for you and that, you know, that you were out on a limb too far. It's that um, what's the difference that I'm experiencing right now. I have a really healthy team around me and we are challenging each other. I have a healthy church that's willing to challenge us too. Um, I have a wife and kids that are at least today healthy and, and we're in this together. And I will tell you again and again, I keep thinking Lord is, is near town. The place is, is the pastorate where I should be. Is this where you want me in your kingdom right now? And I continue to just be encouraged and say, see the fruit of what God is doing and say, yeah, I am. If you are at Neartown Church and you are listening to what I am saying, please don't be worried. I'm not daily asking whether or not I still want to be your pastor. Uh, but what I, what I am saying is I want to make sure that my identity is first God's child and his faithful servant. And I want to play my role, loving him, seeking him and seeking that others know him. I want that to be primary in my life and not just a pastor and at near town church such that if that usurps my role as God's child, then I'm going to do all I can to hold on to that role of pastor at near town church. I want to make sure it's in the right order. That's where I am. And so Matt, right now, that's where I am. That's why I can still be a pastor here, not just because of all those other supports, but at least today, 
I'm just kind of humbly saying this is where I am and I'm good for it. And Jesus, please, please, please give me the strength to continue to lead well. Um, and so that's what it is today. We could have this exact same conversation next week. And I might say, I'm, ha- I'm struggling. I'm on the struggle bus. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I will yeah. say, I will say, even in the midst of this podcast, things that my friends are going through in ministry, things that my family has kind of dealt with off and on health-wise and otherwise this year, I, it, was, it was honestly the first thing is like, I can see why some people are jumping ship from their churches. Yeah. I can see it. it. It was the first time I had experienced that. Not that anybody who's had to shut down their church, I questioned them. I just was yeah. saying, I know I'm not there. It was the first time this year, this semester, I was kind of like, oh, I can, I can see it. I can I, see it. I have, and I, I want to end with this too, at least on this. And then I want to turn to Michael because Michael wrote about this about a year ago. And let's, let's give the audience some constructive, where do we go from here? Um, ideas um, in the ephesiology framework. But I do want to say that I have hope. And, and I am very hope filled um, that even though I like, it's hard right now. And if you're in the pastorate, know that um, my experience may not be yours and how I have felt may not be where you're at, or you may be identifying with me or Andrew and um, struggling yourself. Know that um, I'm not anti-pastor. <laughs> know that I'm not anti-church, but actually I'm hopeful because of conversations like this podcasts like Ephesiology, uh, the work that we're doing at Ephesiology, um, the work that even I do uh, at Knox Theological Seminary, um, and even the work that uh, I'm seeing worked out even through podcasts like the Mars Hill podcast, because we are progressing and moving towards a better future. We are working out the kinks. We are reforming as the church has always reformed. We are, I mean, it's, it's as Paul Tripp said, the evangelical church must deconstruct in order to survive. It has to deconstruct itself. It has to reimagine itself. And I think we need to take that to heart. I really do. And, and I think we need to be in process and we are in process. We're going through the pains and the growth pains of it. And God's the one doing it. He's the one who is, who is, who is shaping us reforming us, working out these things. Um, and, and he is the one who's, who's leading us through it. I truly believe it. Um, and so I think he is the one who has given us more rope than what we ever know what to do with. And he's letting us kind of work these things out. And, and so if you're in that space of struggling of, do I maintain a ministry? Do I remain the pastor? You like you, Andrew, like you got to work it out with where you are right now. Can you endure without losing your soul <laughs> or get, or, or losing your life to, you know? Um, but if you're struggling, know that you're struggling, it's okay. And, and be okay with it, be open and be honest. But, you know, I, I think it's, it feels unsafe sometimes and some, or you got to work hard at creating a safe environment or finding the safe people to talk to about it. And um, uh, yeah. I want to jump in on that and, and that thought. I think we've talked about this here, so I'm only going to mention it briefly. You know, we've had uh, Father Matt Marino on a few times. Well, yeah. when he was in Houston, um, we met every week over coffee uh, with two other 
ministry leaders and pastors. And that meeting, I think, helped all of us stay sane. Um, it was a great encouragement. I mean, for me, it was super encouraging to be meeting with people that were not a part of my church and sometimes were not a part of my faith tradition. Also, chasing hard after Jesus to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to be united in all things in him. Like, I'm telling you, that was life giving. And I'm actually, a friend and I um, will be starting again. Um, he was not a part of that group, but. Um, in January. And so I do want to encourage you. I, I feel I'm spoiled as a part of the Houston church planting network to be rubbing shoulders with pastors from all over the city on a frequent basis that I, I can be open and honest with, and they can be open and honest with me and we can share our joys and our struggles. And that's actually a, at minimum, that's a monthly thing. So if, if you are a part of a city or you feel like you're going it alone, please find some other pastors locally, like share what you're dealing with, share your struggles, share your joys, share your hopes for the city. And like, truly, truly, truly don't, don't feel like you're going this alone. I think that's foolish. And now we go back to Michael with the body of believers. You were never alone. Uh, and you are also not like, I don't want to say this, but you're not super special. Um, this just happens to be where you're serving. So go and actually talk with other people who are serving and be reminded of your place in the body of Christ. Well, uh, let me, let me press Um, into what you were saying, Andrew, about the church, Houston church planting network and pastors getting together with other pastors. I I agree with that. I think there's a great value in that. Um, uh, I know from experience of being in ministry that, that, uh, Sometimes those can be cathartic times, uh, but they can also be unhealthy. And, uh, and, you know, so often those kind of ministerial sessions become places where we might vent uh, our frustrations against our congregation and so on. That I don't find that constructive at all. Um, and in fact, I think that it might be symptomatic of the system that we've set up that is contributing to the things that we're seeing uh, in evangelicalism. And so um, I think I'd rather see pastors really come together with the people in their congregation and and look at each other as co-equals in this uh, mission that God has placed before all of us. And uh, and really develop those relationships with with those people. Um, you know, when I think of the Apostle Paul, that's what I think of him. I mean, he sat around uh, with his folks, and they talked and and uh, interacted with one another, and um, those were important moments for the body of Christ uh, in all the places where Paul was, uh, planting churches. And, and so I think we take our signal from him and, uh, and really develop those relationships with people on a peer level, not, not as I'm the pastor and those are the parishioners, but that we're all peers. We're a priesthood, all of us of believers, and uh, we're to unite together. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that that's that, so important. I, I think about that, Michael, as like, what a, how different could so many of our churches and even just the, using the Mars Hill as an example, how different would that have been? 
mm-hmm. you know, that experience, but it may not have amassed to the size and the influence that it did. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the yeah. dichotomy that we, we, we deal with. And, and I see so much of the, this power and authority and, and privilege and um, charisma and influence is just so much in the um, celebrity culture that we have that people are so hungry for that we just love the fact that like you could just say, well, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. That's my, like, I go to that church. I go to that big thing that everyone's talking about now. You know what I mean? Um, and, and we that's just love a boring concept to the new Testament, you know, and absolutely it is in, in, in uh, the church in Corinth. Uh, he was glad that he didn't baptize people in Corinth, except for that household of Stephanos, I think he says, um, because he didn't want those labels. He didn't want people to say, look, I'm his, I'm hers or whomever's. Right. Uh, but what did you believe? Apollos? Did you believe Paul? Yeah. Who was it that you believed? Peter, it should be in, whoever. Yeah, right. right. It didn't matter. Yeah. It was like in Jesus. Right. And so it's like, yeah. here, this is, this is where our faith resides. Yeah. And that's so important. And and I think I wonder sometimes if we, because of the way in which evangelicalism has evolved over the past several hundred years, if we'd not really set up a, a situation where we we really don't recognize Jesus as the head of the church. Instead, we see the pastor or the group of leaders as the head. And we yeah. need to recover. I mean, we, we've been talking a lot about how we need to recover a biblical ecclesiology um, that really focuses on Jesus as being the cornerstone, as Ephesians says, of the church, that he is the head of the body. And that it's his mission that we're all on. I'm not on a pastor's vision or mission. I, I, I don't care what he says about what vision or mission he might be proclaiming. I'm on Christ's mission, and he should be or she should be as well, because we all, as believers in Christ, are on that same mission. And uh, and where that deviates, uh, then we need to really raise questions and and come together in community and work those things out. Right. And uh, because Jesus requires us to be on his mission, not on somebody else's mission. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm I, getting a little too animated. No, this is great. Well, I, it's your turn. I think, you know, between Andrew and I, we've been the most animated here on the podcast today, but you know, I think um, how much of this has to do with, you know, I can't help but think, and I've been kind of, again, wrestling through this in my thoughts is that how much of what we pass as church is actually more uh, politics in a religious veneer. Um, and, and I see so much politicking taking place, even in ways that we don't even fully understand it, I think within religious circles. And that's what we get. Like we come up with, you know, the charismatic leader with the vision statement for the, you know, for the church for the next year, here's, here's this year's, how many pastors are getting up right now and this weekend or in the next weekend or two to give their 2022 vision statement for here's where we're going to go for 2022, right. Uh, for our vision. That's mm. politics. You are pol- you are politicking to your congregation, right? And and you are exerting a vision, a a policy, a procedure, a, you know, a goal to strive after. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, right? But I'm just simply saying, like, we have conflated the two, and I think that's why it's so hard 
for us to think through another strategy, another approach, and even look back. And when we read back into the scriptures, we have a a, a lens that we're already coming to it with. Mm-hmm. And and as you're reminding us here that even within the scriptures, we see Jesus kind of being the, you know, I, I see him political, you know, playing into the politics oftentimes in the New Testament. But usually finding that middle ground and going like, yeah, we're not going to play that by by that game. We're not going to play by this game, right? And and so and so much of that, even with Paul, like it, it, this is this is a new community. This is a new humanity. This is a part where we have co-equals, where the hierarchy is it becomes almost non-existent. Um, we have this idea, this concept of mutual submission. Um, you know, we, we're bringing those people with gifts to the, allowing them to come to the table, to speak into the community. Right. Um, that is just, we say we do these things, but I just, I don't think we actually fully bring it out. And, and, uh, in so much of our constructs of the church, um, and I, that's kind of where I'm hearing you kind of get into, and I know you've written about this before, um, you know, on, on the blog and we've had conversations about biblical, you know, leadership in the church. Yeah. And we can, we'll link to those in the show notes. Right. Right. Well, uh, Michael, I, we're going to, I think we'll end it here. Andrew, unfortunately, uh, we, uh, we lost Andrew, uh, somewhere along the way. Um, and so hopefully it wasn't the rapture. Oh, I was wondering if that joke was going to come out. Um, uh, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, technical issues with Andrew and, uh, he's, he's texting us frantically. Um, and, and we should just say this too, by the way, um, he had a response to your comment before he got cut off, um, is that, uh, you were saying Michael about pastors getting together and meeting, and sometimes they use it as a place of venting to complain about congregations. Andrew wanted to clarify and said that his Houston church planning network is never about that. Um, and, um, and so that it's always been, uh, what he described it as, as a, as a space for, for real honest conversation. Um, and maybe not about that. So, uh, anyway, just to, just to Andrew sent that as a, as a message after he got booted off and, and just to kind of, uh, respond a little bit back to, to the conversation that we were having here. And, um, but yeah, I guess as a way of encouragement to those who are listening, like, and, and Andrew alluded to this too, and Michael, I'll let you have any final word here too, but like, I really do believe like the church is, it's, it, it's in, it's having its season. And um, as a congregant, as a leader, wherever you are in that, within that system, it's on a journey right now. And uh, we are rediscovering, we are uncovering, and uh, we are, um, trying to find and forge a pathway forward into this world that is moving and evolving and changing rapidly. And, um, and, and I think this is what is happening is good (laughs) if we can see the good in it. Um, and I think it's purifying and, and I think for those who are going to have humble hearts about it and be honest with yourself and those around you, I think is where we're going to get to a healthier place as people of faith who have a real message to share and to believe and to follow um, that I think we need, we need more of these conversations. We need more of this level of honesty uh, with Mm -hmm. ourselves and with each other. Um, Michael, I'll let you kind of conclude there. Yeah. Well, let me conclude with four points that I've noted as we've been talking that I think are, are good, uh, a good 
concluding points for this conversation on the that podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. One is, you know, we're all after God's will. And, uh, and, and that's what we want to be focused on. And God's will is singular. And we've talked about this countless times on the podcast, that Ephesians 1 is just so clear that God's will is for his glorification. And that's what we're after. And so whenever we begin to hear, well, this is God's will for us to do this or that or that or whatever, we need to evaluate that against God's will for his own self-glorification. And uh, really all come around that singular uh, will. Um, secondly, you know, we, be, we need to be looking for leaders that are worthy to follow. And uh, I think the Hebrew writer gets at this beautifully in Hebrews 13. And we'll link to a podcast that we did on this uh, passage. But um, it, just in summary, that passage is just clearly talking about a leader who is following after Christ sacrificing like Christ did, enduring like Christ did, being Christ-like. That's the leader that we want to follow. And if we have leaders that aren't pointing us in that direction, or leaders who cannot say, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, then that's probably not a leader that we want to follow. And if we're not able to see, even in the lives of the leaders that we are following, how they're leading their own lives, that should raise questions for us. Leaders need to be examples for us to see so that we can uh, learn what it means to follow Christ. And if we're not seeing their lives on the day-to-day, Monday through Saturday, we see them on Sunday. If we don't see them Monday through Saturday, then we need to really be reevaluating if that's a leader that we should be following. And then thirdly, and we've mentioned this, do theology and community. That's so important for us today. And I think this is foundational to us being able to, uh, as you mentioned, Tripp saying, deconstruct uh, the evangelicalism. If we're not doing this in community, then we're, we're going to be destructive, not just deconstructing, but we'll be destructive to the church. And so I, I like to think uh, more along the lines of, uh, of reformation. Uh, uh, we need to reform. Not in the sense, Andrew, of Reformed theology, but in the sense of genuine Reformation. And this should be happening. It should be natural. Right, and, right. and the Reformers were right. We should always be reforming. We have not done that. Um, we've been stuck in the uh, 16th century for the past 500 years, and we need to get unstuck and uh, really genuinely reform. And now's the time. I mean, we're evangelicals. The world, the world is... The world has moved on. And and I think we should just be honest with that. Like, and it's not, and that's so much of the us versus them mentality that is just too prevalent right now, but Mm -hmm. the world has moved on and, and the church has left it. It it is, it has lost its relevance period uh, to much of, of what's being taken place in the world. And like you said, I think it only just, even our theology, I think we're just, we're, like you said, we're stuck. We're stuck there. It's like, move on. We, we're ready. We need to move on. We need, we need to, we need to be able to engage in the world in, in new and different ways. So, yeah. and it's, it's really hard. Hey, Andrew's we, back, everybody. Hey, Andrew's back. Enjoy it while we can. Uh, thank you, Xfinity. Um, I will say that's actually when we look back at history, that's what's so frustrating is that when, when we start to resemble the uh, people that the reformers were railing against the church leaders, 
that the reformers were trying to change, it saddens me. So instead of us leading out and reforming, uh, we throw rocks and we say, you're trying to come against us and you're trying to tear down Jesus. And it just makes me so dad, so sad. So Michael, I am, I'm nodding my head in agreement, Matt, I'm nodding my head in agreement, reforming and always reforming, growing closer to what Christ has for us. You had four points, Michael. So that was three. That was four. That was it. The first one. And no, no, I didn't. didn't. Uh, no, but here's my thing. So when does your book come out about this? I mean, have you already, because that's the nature of this is we have a podcast and you write down. Oh, a few. gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. no. Well, I mean, the physiology is really about this, about God's will, about doing theology and community, about following leaders who uh, are genuinely leading like Christ and uh, and then about reforming. And so ephesiology is a great place to start to get our heads around what the first century church looked like and, and why it was uh, as successful as it was on multiple levels and, and how that growth continued and the health. Uh, it wasn't a perfect church. There's, not, there's no such thing as a perfect church, but it was a healthy church. And uh, there was a healthy commitment to one another uh, um, that seems to be lacking uh, in the church today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there on this extended episode of the Ephesiology podcast to our listeners. Thanks so much for joining us for this uh, extended edition. Um, And for those who haven't yet listened um, to the rise and fall of Mars Hill put out by Christianity today, uh, just uh, Andrew and I definitely would commend that to you and uh, to go on the journey with it. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to engage with you too. If, uh, you have any questions and things like that you want to talk about. And again, even our resources here with the physiology, I think will be of great help to you as you think through kind of a, a pathway forward for you your, personally and your family. And also of course, um, as well as, uh, just, uh, your church as well too, if you're in a leadership. Um, and, uh, of course this will also be the last episode just before the new year. So, uh, Merry Christmas and happy new year to everybody. And we'll be back, um, after the new year. So with that, thanks for doing theology and community with us here on the Ephesiology podcast. We're glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology global community. Learn more about Ephesiology and get access to free missional resources for you, your church and leadership teams at ephesiology.com and keep sharing the podcast. By the way, we are hitting some significant numbers in terms of the number of people listening. I don't know, like we don't, we're, we're trying to get down to the bottom of the metrics here, but we are estimating anywhere between 50 to 55,000 downloads a week, a week folks. And that's you so listening. crazy. It's absurd. Um, so I, I don't know what, we don't know what to do with that information other than it, you know, wow. So thanks for listening and thanks for sharing. And um, yeah, just wow. You're awesome. So anyway, uh, we love you all and Merry Christmas. Happy New Year for Michael, Andrew and myself. We'll talk again right here on the Physiology Podcast.